listening to 30 on Broadway, Talking Blue Shirts, on the Face Off Hockey Network. Okay. I, I just have to get this out of the way real quick. No, no, no. Before, oh. before we, before we, before we the jump la- into the deep. Yeah, because the the last time we recorded, we um, it was before the absolutely tragic and unspeakable events that happened in uh, uh, Uval Uvalde. I, I don't know how to say the the Texas town, but by now you know exactly what I'm talking about in Texas, where. Two teachers and 19 children lost their lives. And I just have to say this because I, I don't get political because I, I, I hate politics. I really do. I think politics often brings out the worst in people, no matter what side you're on. But I will say this. If you are not in favor of stricter gun control, you know, and I'm not saying take everyone's guns, but nobody needs to own an assault rifle. Just you don't need it for home protection. You know this is not you're, you're not defending the 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 frontier. There needs to be gun reform. There needs to be mental health evaluations. The the three day period of waiting. Bef- you know, no, like there needs to be strict back stricter background checks, universal background checks. There needs to be. There needs to be mental health evaluations done. You need to be interviewed. Why are you buying this weapon? What are your purposes? You know, you need to have your family history looked into for mental illness. There, there needs to be so many levels to buy a gun. Like, it, you know, buying a gun should not be easier than going to buy baby formula or going to buy razors at a supermarket. So... I just want to say politicians on both sides, Republicans, Democrats, I don't care which side of the aisle that you're on. I don't care what your political affiliation is as a voter. You don't have to agree with what I'm saying, but there needs to be gun reform. There needs to be stricter gun control laws. It should not be easy to go in and buy an assault rifle for which you can massacre a school the like and then also shame on the the police officers who oh well we didn't want to go in because we didn't want to get shot well that's kind of your job description that's what you sign up for those kids that died they did not sign up to go get shot at school so uh, everybody needs to be better from the, the politicians to the police. Like everybody needs to do their part and be better and do better because what we're doing right now, it doesn't work. So there needs to be serious change. It, it's so sad that the one little girl who survived was smart enough to take her friend's blood, smear it on herself and play dead while the killer was in the room. So she didn't get shot. It's truly tragic that our kid that you know kids in America have to be that smart to think of that in an active shooter situation. So I look, 
I, I'm not like I, I could say my thoughts and prayers and my thoughts and prayers do go out to um, all those families that will never get to tuck their children in again. I, I, I don't even begin to know the pain and the loss that you're going through even a week later. Um, thoughts and prayers aren't cutting it anymore. So we all need to do better and be better. And I, I'm just, I want to start off with that before we get into any Ranger talk. Not fair enough. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on it. Um, to me, the, the biggest thing is, is there, there needs to be something, there needs to be meaningful change on the mental health aspect. And I think far too often people focus more on the other side of things or try to place blame on things. They'll try to place blame on video games and no matter what the data and no matter what the research shows, or they'll try to blame everything other than what is a, a root cause problem. And I understand arguments on all sides. I get all that, but I'm, I'm with you on it. I don't, I don't understand why people need to own an assault rifle. I, I just, I don't, I, I don't, I, I'm not, I, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and it's a shame. It's an absolute shame. And, you know, I, I lived about 10 minutes or so uh, from Sandy Hook when that happened. I was home from work that day. Um, and, you know, you hear all the sirens and all the the, st- the noises and everything going on. And I lived in Southbury. It was a quiet community, a quiet little town. And, you know, just north of Sandy Hook. And you're sitting there going, what the hell? And then to see that all play out on TV and, you know, drive by it, you know, night in and night out going to work and And that and that's the thing we're 10 years you know nine years removed from sandy hook and things haven't gotten better you know i mean look we're 20 we're 20 plus years from columbine and still like it's like nothing's changed but and that's and i think that's the problem on the political side of it is this side will blame this side this side will do this and what do they actually do and i and i think that's where people are starting to kind of wake up and not to go into politics and stuff but you know where i stand I try to find myself more in the middle of things. And I think the problem that we have this in this world is there's too far reaching on either side. I feel like either side, all, all that's happened is it's gone farther and farther away to where people that are in the middle kind of seem like they're insane. Right. It, it, there's I mean, too that's much, just how there's, I feel. There's too much political grandstanding on both sides. And it, it's, you know, you're at the point where... Look, you know me. I don't get involved in politics. I don't like I discussing I politics. politics. I, I, so. I think certain things rise above politics, and that's this is one of those things. Yeah, like where it needs to I, stop being political because it's not. It's not poli- like that's the whole thing. Children getting killed is not political. Like, no. so. So all right, um, let's jump into to the hockey talk. I know we didn't we didn't end up. We were gonna broadcast twice. We were gonna broadcast after game game five but holy crap that game was so bad that we were like no we're not doing it because it's just going to be a downer and i don't want to have a downer and we didn't mean to start off this episode with a downer but we you know we obviously missed the time period and it was something that's important you know nick works in with, with children every day so he's involved in it and i'm sure you know he's had to deal with you know the safety stuffs and training things or whatever just because of whatever could potentially happen um, and we, cop, we, of course, we, you know, in addition to fire drills, we do active shooter drills. Like we, 
now we train for active shooters, so it's like shit. That's a shame. Yeah. I know it's nothing new. I'm not saying, oh, I had wool over my eyes, but it's just it's it's insane because we didn't do any of that. Uh, yeah, we no. didn't have to. We didn't have to grow up with that. We grew up with, you know, when Columbine happened. I think I was was I still in middle school. Um, our thing changed because it was you couldn't have a backpack anymore, or you had to have a clear backpack, and we couldn't use our lockers anymore. That was the biggest thing, which was like the end of the world for us. But now you think about it, like we never had to practice what would happen if this situation. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's just it's it's disgusting. Um, so we didn't end up broadcast. So obviously we just wanted to touch on that before we go forward. But um, we, me and Nick, kind of have a yin yang going right now, <laughs> and it yeah, seems to be working. It's actually pretty funny because usually I'm Captain Optimistic, and I know this is we flipped the script. Yeah, I my NHL bracket. I'm not going to go into details on it, but my bracket, um, for the most part, looks like shit, except for a few parts, and one of them is with the Rangers. Um, even when the Rangers were down 3-1 to one last series with the Penguins, I know we had Brian on as a guest where he came on and he kind of wanted to rant a little bit. Um, we had Brian on, and we were talking, and it was like, oh, my God, the season's over. We're, we're dead in the water. This is the end. And I kept saying, Rangers in seven. Rangers in seven. Rangers in seven. And I just kept hammering it. Rangers in seven. And you guys, I think, were at one point were like kind of poking fun or mocking me. And I kept well, saying, I, I, was, I was more on the side of, you just gave up 14 goals in two games. Yeah, where where are you finding any inspiration? Show, yeah, show me show me they need to show me something first. But I think I my, begin to believe. My piece of it was the kids were doing so well that I felt like it was just a, at some point the other pieces had to to pop off and they did. And then we go into this round and I'm like Rangers in 6. I don't I, you know, I was like I the, the Hurricanes don't play smart. Their top guys aren't playing well. They're not scoring. They're not producing. The Carolina depth players have to carry them like they did against Boston. I said, you know, they could have lost to the Bruins. They very easily could have been bounced out by the Bruins. If the Bruins just had an ounce of depth, I talked about this in the beginning of of the series. If the Bruins had an ounce of depth in their lineup like we did, the Carolina Hurricanes don't get out of the first round. And it wasn't to knock the team. Regardless, Carolina was a great hockey team. They were one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, let alone the league. Um, but when the chips start to fall and the playoffs come, the f- switch flips. And I felt confident. I said, Rangers in six. And Nick was like, man, I don't know. I'm not, I don't feel it. I'm not feeling it. And then we go down 0-2, and it's like, oh, crap. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care. Rangers are taking it. Rangers are going to reverse sweep. They're going to pull this off. And then they go bang, bang, 2-2 series tie. A 2-0 series lead in the playoffs means practically nothing. It's basically the same thing as a 2-0 lead in a game. All it takes is one strike. I don't know about all that. All it takes is one strike. This situation has to be be right. The situation has to be right. But all it takes is a team to find their groove and get one. And then all of a sudden you're looking at, hey, we're down by one. If we pull it, now it's a whole new series. Now it's a best of three, baby. And that's what the Rangers did. They turned it into a best of three. 
you know, sure, they go into Raleigh and lay the the friggin' dog nah, that let, they did. Let, let's not sugarcoat it. They sucked. They, they sucked from head to toe. Game five, and I and I am on record have having said I believed whoever won game five was winning the series. Because I thought game five was that important. Which was fair. Which it, it, it really it should have been. It should have been. But then the Rangers come back, they come home, they take care of business in game six. You you see how well Miko is playing, how well the, the other players are starting to, you know, everything was starting to groove. And then they go into game seven, and I and I said to Nick yesterday in the morning, I said, you know, I said, I feel the same way I did about game seven against Pittsburgh. And I was like, and I know it's different because they're in Carolina, and Carolina has won at home. I was like, but you know what? They shouldn't be unbeaten at home because we should have split the first two games, at least. At bare minimum, we should have split the opening two games in, in Carolina. Agreed. I was like, so I don't feel – I was like, you know what? If the Rangers come out and play like they've played at home, and they make the Hurricanes do stupid penalties, take stupid penalties, and they capitalize on them, and they play smart, and they keep going, and they don't take their foot off the pedal, they're taking this one. But, sure I, 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 but I'll also say, too, I think a reason why they won game seven. What line did Gerard go out and start the game with? Dude, I was half freaking, I don't he started with the fourth line. It was the fourth line. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I was like, oh, shit, and, Revo. And, and yeah. do you know why that, that's important? It set the tone right off the bat. And it also, that, messed not, up, it also messed up Brindamore's Brenda scheme. Brindamore loves to line match. So he, I guarantee he was expecting that he was going to come out with Zabanajad yep. because of how Mika was playing. And he didn't. He started with the fourth line. So Brindamore line match to put his fourth line out there. Nope. And then in the midst of play, he got Zabanajad's line out there, away from the stall line. Yeah, and he was able to do that a couple of times in this game, which was which was critical. Um, you, I saw that a couple of times, you know, quite a bit. And look, Miko was flying last night. I mean, they all were flying. Everybody was flying. I mean, Carolina, look, at certain points they bent and they bent and they bent. They never broke. They never went into that full turtle mode. Well, but the other thing, too, that the Rangers, I think, did, and, you know, advanced stats will tell you that the Rangers got caved in last night and they only won because of Igor Shesterkin, and that's fine, but it doesn't tell the whole story because when you actually watch the game, and and I'm not trying to do an I debate versus advanced stats thing because I do, I like advanced stats. I think they are useful, but... When you watch the game and you saw, yes, Carolina had puck possession. They were in the Rangers' offensive zone. Where did the Rangers, for the most part, keep the Hurricanes? They were out on the they were out on the perimeter. Out on the perimeter, and then when anything, when there was any shot on goal, the Rangers bit the bullet and they blocked shots. They were blocking they, shots like crazy, and they paid the price in order to win the game. And, so, and a lot of the shots that got through were relatively routine for Shesty and when they needed him to make the big saves like he did after they went up two nothing. Um and he stopped that point blank rocket uh, from Terra yeah. Vinan. Yeah. That that was the game right there. I, I looked was, at I, yeah. I, 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 I sat there and I was like, that's it. I was like the Rangers aren't losing this game. There's no I was like there's no way. I was like Shesty was was I was like he's so dialed in that I don't think he's I don't think he's gonna give up one. And even the tough saves that he made, he made them look easy. Yeah, he was phenomenal. It was it was absolutely phenomenal. 
Um, but I and, wanted to go back to a point where beginning of the season, beginning of the playoffs, we had Jay Khan from Sirius XM NHL Network Radio join us, and he's joined us a bunch of times on on Thirty on Broadway as well as the Face Off Hockey Network. And, and, I, he, and I will try and get Jay Khan again for the conference final because. You know, we had said in round one, if we if the Rangers go further, he, he, you know, so. We did, we did. Um, he flipped the script on us with a question of his own. And I thought, because that was game one of the postseason, let us revisit it. I got a question for you guys, though, because when I – when I've come on before, we've kind of slowly been watching this Rangers team get better and better. I'm curious where the expectations are for Rangers fans like yourself. Like how have, how have the expectations changed from the start of the season when we're just hoping let's take the step, let's make the playoffs. Now you're here. You've got this great team. You've got a Vesna caliber goaltender, a guy that just won the Norris trophy, you know, someone that in a good year could contend for the Hart trophy and Artemi Panarin. So all the pieces are there. Have the expectations dramatically changed from, from the start of the season? Chris, you want to go first, or you want me to go first? Um, I no, I think so because I I think it also it also goes into how the conference is shaken up. Um, I I look at the conference right now, and outside of Tampa, I don't think there's a team in the playoffs that can go toe to toe with us in goaltending. I think that's a big piece of it, and I think what Drury did at the deadline, this team can go as far as it it can. I, I don't I don't see where this team has to steal around. Um, I think this one, they should get past Pittsburgh. I think it's a five or six game series, six at the most. Um, but I think the chips can fall to where if it push comes to shove, I like this team going up against anybody. Really? I, I really do. So I think in some ways, yeah, the expectations have gone from if the Rangers could get into the playoffs and win around, that'll be great. To me, it's I want to see how much damage this team can do. And can this team go on a run? And they're certainly built, in my opinion. I think they're built for it. I look at this. This year for me was always about taking that next step, making the playoffs. Especially when you go out, you fire David Quinn, you bring in Gerard Gallant. That, to me, signals from the front office standpoint, okay, we we believe we're better than where we've been at, so we want to make the playoffs. So making the playoffs for me was always – that was the first goal. And then pre-deadline, I didn't think that this was a team that could really do damage or compete unless Igor Shesterkin becomes Henrik Lundqvist, Ken Dryden, Dominic Hasek, and Patrick Waugh all rolled into one and just decides I'm going to steal, you know, seven, eight games by myself. So because I, I just thought the Rangers were too top-heavy and they didn't have enough depth. Coming out of the deadline – now, when I see what this team has done, and I see, I know what Shesterkin is, I know what we have in Fox, Keandre Miller's taken a huge step down the stretch, Jacob Trouba's become a real anchor on that second pair, I mean, Heedle with Lafreniere and a healthy Kako, well, Heedle just with Lafreniere has taken a huge jump in his game. So now, I've definitely raised the bar to where, okay, I definitely believe making the playoffs is good. You have to beat Pittsburgh, in my opinion, because I, I just believe on paper, as a matchup, we're better than Pittsburgh. So, but I also look at it from the scope of, this is still house money this year. We weren't, nobody thought we were a 100-point team this year. I thought we were a playoff team, but I thought 95 points at best. So, 
I think you win this round against Pittsburgh and then all bets are off. Whatever they do after that is gravy to me. I just don't think if you come up against Carolina in the second round, that would scare the hell out of me. I don't want to play the Canes. They're the one team who, even more than Tampa Bay, because I think the Rangers can play the style that Tampa wants to play. Tampa, of course, can play it better. In all due respect, they are the two-time defending cup champs for a reason. But I also think they got to run out of steam at some point, right? They're like they're 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 not the '80s Islanders here. I I, I don't think. But I just win the first round. Don't get embarrassed in the second round if you play Carolina. If you show you can go toe-to-toe with Carolina in six or seven games, that's good enough for me. And then you have to go back in the offseason and improve on the foundation. I And I don't think there's a team in the Eastern Conference, and I think Chris sort of touched on this a little bit too, that truly scares this Rangers team. Like I think when you put them up, sure, you can make a case that a couple teams are slightly better, or maybe they're a little bit more proven in other areas. I think when you look at Tampa, obviously they've proven it over the last couple of playoff runs that they can get this thing done and they can win 16 games in the spring, which is never easy to do for anybody at Carolina. They've been there a few more times. They haven't actually won the cup, but they've won some rounds and they've been a consistent team for the most part over the fa- over the past few years. I still think a team like Florida is unproven. Like they're they're going to play Washington in the first round. I think they should get that done, and then they they hook either a Tampa or a Toronto in the second round. I still need Florida to prove it to me in the playoffs. As great as of a regular season as they as they had, I still need to see how it translates over to the playoffs for me. So I think that the list of teams that are truly better than the Rangers in the Eastern Conference is a very very short list. And if they take care of their business here against Pittsburgh, which I believe I believe they did, I predicted a short series here and an easy win for the Rangers. If they take care of this business, and I do think it's probably going to be the Canes in the second round. I think that's going to be one hell of a series if that's the way it plays out. So a little bit again, the yin and yang of of Nick and I. But there's a couple of key things that we talked about, and that's why that's part of why I, I wanted to replay that clip. I was just gonna say I uh, I, I kind of gave Filipino praise before, you know, we saw the monster that Filipino would become. I mean, the dude's on a tear. He's one of the best players on the team right now. Uh, to be fair, and I'm gonna say this, and maybe this might be a hot take. I I, I don't know. Um, I think Filipino is having a better postseason than Artemi Panarin, which is which is which is crazy considering that Panarin is basically what a point per game, if not more. But it, it's just it goes back to the impact the that overall he's, that Heedle's having on every single play. Like I'm, it seems like every time he's on the ice, something good for the Rangers is happening. I mean that line in general. I mean you know Lafreniere is not racking up points and. Kako, thank God Gallant finally put them back together. But that line just, you know, yeah, they might get hemmed in their zone a bit. There might be offensive time. But, damn, they're a pain in the ass in the offensive zone for any team to handle. I mean, the, the Carolina Hurricanes had trouble handling them by, by I, far. I mean, you saw it in game six, and then you saw it again in game seven. Yeah, I mean, that line just went to – and then and then Philip Heedle's goal. Um, Which one? Because he scored three in two games. The, the game seven. The game oh, seven goal. After Carolina scored their first goal. After Carolina goal scored. And even though the Rangers were up, even though the Rangers were still up four to one, you're sitting there going, you know what? A, it was like there's 11 and a half minutes left. There's a there's lot a, of time well, here. There's 11 and a half minutes left. 
Carolina, if they turn on the Jets and we kind of fall into that turtle mode, if they get another one here, now all of a sudden you're sitting here going, shit, we got a ball game here, folks. And I think it was the clip, and the clip was hilarious, where Philip Hill goes in and goes five-hole. And I'll tell you what, I was at Mustangs last night for the game, and the the bar, we were upstairs, and the bar, the, the, the building was shaking. Um, it was it was electric in there, and when Philip Heedle scored, because when they scored, when Carolina scored, it was like, oh man, like what you just said. There's a lot of time left in this game. The Rangers are playing great. I'm not scared, but it's like Jesus, please don't let Carolina get one more. Just, just you're there, you're on the jugular, step down, just crush it, finish it off. And then Hedo goes right down and scores. And the freaking building erupted. And the funniest thing, one of one of two hilarious moments with ESPN was Sean McDonough on the call, Philip Hedo scores, and then there's like a long pause because Ray Ferraro was like, if you're Carolina, got to just get one more, get back into the game. He, he was Ray Ferraro was like, he then, said what he said what everyone was thinking of. Yeah. If, if they get one more, there's eleven and a half minutes left here. There's there's time, and, and then, then he'll score. He'll score. Never mind. And it was the funniest <laughs> thing. I was dying. But it's like, look, we went from we were talking about all season. Does Philip Heedle take the next step? And all season we're like, man, you know, to the point where we're like. I don't really know if he's even part of the long-term picture anymore. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. And then the postseason came, and it was like that kid line just tur- – it was like freaking bulls seeing red, and they have just turned it up. And that's where – I think that's where a lot of my, uh, my like, positive vibes about this team has really just soared. Because well, I, we've gone from times where the top six has not looked good, but we're like, man, you know what? The depth guys are all playing solid. And Fox has kind of came out of whatever he was dealing with in Pittsburgh in the beginning of the series. He has, you know, kind of risen back. Ryan Lindgren is the freaking warrior of warriors of warriors. Barkley Goodrow getting back in the lineup, who we were ranting and raving about in the, when they made the signing raving about the type of player that he brings to the table and you're seeing it firsthand bam right out the gate you're seeing the intangibles that a player of Barkley Goodrow's caliber brings to the club um and you're just like you know what Rangers in six in this round too baby look I look you're wrong because my pie chart right here if you look at my pie chart it says that Barkley Goodrow is not worth six years. Look, Chris, look at my pie chart. Look I, at I, it. I know. I know. And what is what, what is, is and what is my, my thing say? Uh hold, hold on, let me get my glasses here. Okay, let's see. Uh adjusting no Quinn in New York. Well, yeah, that's true. Oh, no David Quinn. Quinn in New York. Oh, oh no Quinn in New York. This I, I, slogan. I, I'll tell you what, it's become more than a slogan. Like they've made it more than a mantra. Th- this was we we were like, oh God. When this debuted under the Quinn era, we were like, oh, whatever. Like, yeah, okay. Real, 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 real solid. This 
this no quit in New York has become the identity of this New York Rangers team. And and they're doing something flipping special. And I know people will be on Twitter and they'll be like, you know what? You know, Keith Oberman with one of his jackass statements, you know, and, and all these other people say, oh, they played a backup goalie. Really, honestly, first off, Auntie Ranta, terrific goalie. The problem with Auntie Ranta has always been, and this is what has always plagued him, is he's he can't held together stay healthy. By, he's held together by Band-Aids and bubblegum? He can't stay healthy. But when he's healthy, he's one of the better goalies in the league, and he would be a starter on more than half of the NHL teams in the league. He would be a starter, a legitimate starter. He was one of the better goaltenders. I, I think his he was right in the pack with Vasilevsky, Ranta. He had a better goals against average than Shesterkin, better goals against average than Mike Smith, far better than Markstrom. Yeah. By the way, everyone everyone wants to take shots at the Rangers that Wait, they on. shouldn't be. No, I'm no, getting no, to it. I'm getting to that. Should be, no, no, but I, I, like I'm I'm gonna go right at it because you said it and now it's fresh in my mind. You, you want to take shots at, at the Rangers that they shouldn't be in the conference finals. Well, you know something? The Edmonton Oilers also should not be in the conference finals because let me tell you something. I watched round two. They did not play an NHL goalie in round two. I don't know who that was wearing Jacob Markstrom's mask and jersey, but it sure as hell wasn't him because Jacob Markstrom couldn't stop a damn beach ball. But nobody's saying that Jack about that. Jack Campbell, Tampa. Jack Campbell, awful. Tristan Jari-esque postseason performance from Jack Campbell. 897 and 315. Awful numbers. Yeah, Marks, like playing, you just said, 901-295. It's okay because Campbell was playing Tampa Bay. Yeah. So that that makes it okay. But, so, you know, you could, you Sergei could Bobrovsky. Again, he's playing Tampa Bay, so you could suck against Tampa Bay. Better numbers, but not great numbers from Bobrovsky. He's towards the bottom of of numbers. But it goes it, it, it like it goes back. The to Nashville Predators of... didn't have UC Soros going to the play. Not that I think it would even matter because of Colorado. But still, Nashville did. Nashville, Colorado didn't get a test in the first round at all. They didn't have to go against UC Soros. They went against second and third, third guys. Yeah, but again, it doesn't matter. Dave Riddick, six fifteen, nineteen ninety one, baby. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Um, what's another one? But there's, it's like, there's, there's another one here. Colorado in the second round. They played Billy Huso. Yeah, Billy Huso had awful numbers. Horrible numbers. But it, it goes They back, had to beat Billy to get to the to, to the conference final, but it doesn't fit the narrative. And I think what a lot of people forget, and this is really true, and a lot of people used to say this was Yankee, this was a Yankee thing, and it's not. It's a New York thing. A lot of media hate and a lot of people in general absolutely hate to see anything good happen in the new york sports market regardless of any other reason it goes back to the jets nobody ever wants to see the jets succeed no one wants to see yankees do anything no one wants to see the knicks do anything unless you're a diehard of a fan and the problem is is because regardless of those team the regardless of the level i'm going to say this this is my hot take all right here's my hot take Regardless of the level that those teams are playing at, those teams 
are worldwide brands. The Rangers are one of the best traveling fan bases in the entire freaking world. The New York Yankees, one of the best traveling fan bases in the entire world. The Jets, the Giants, the Mets, the Knicks, all of them. Regardless, and I hate, 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 hate the New York Jets. New York fan bases are diehards through and through. And I think that is very select markets have fan bases like that. And other media and other areas absolutely hate it. Like Carolina, for instance, okay? This, a, lot of, a lot of transplant New Yorkers in this Carolina. This terrific fan base. It's terrific when the Canes are winning. Wait until the Canes fall back into the point where they're not winning again. It's like that in a lot of markets. In the, like the, whole, the whole reason why they, the storm surge started and was by to the way, generate Carol, fans. Was to generate fan interest. But no, the Rangers stole that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Actually, everybody actually everybody copied the saluting the fans thing from the New York Rangers. Which is funny because, like, you never saw anyone flip about that. Like, you never saw – it was more like a, hey, that's cool. You know, every every fan base, every team should do it. They should. I, I want to say Yager was the one that started that after the lockout. I, I think so. I think it was. I, I don't remember for sure, but I know, like, coming out of the lockout, that was the Rangers thing, and it grew from there. Just like – the playoff beard thing grew from what? The Islander dynasty? The, I think it was. the, the Islander dynasty. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, just give credit where credit's due, but like, they're like, they're taking your storage surge. Ugh. Like, shut up. Yeah. If you didn't have Tom Dundon, you're probably not in Carolina anymore. So be glad you got an owner that move is willing back, to do those move things. Them, move them back to Hartford to a oh, real yeah. market. Yeah, where they're really good fans. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I just did that. To, I just did that to set y'all. Oh. I mean, look, I would love I, look, the Whalers to be back because it would give me more opportunities to go to Ranger games. Oh, by the way, just by the way, and I, I have to say this before we 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 jump onto the Twitter Spaces portion of the the program today. Today, today, okay, bad dog. The the whole narrative, and I, I I will say this about everything with the Rangers becoming a narrative driven event. And it is because the guys who do the charts, like the big guys who do the charts, are upset because there are certain elements to the New York Rangers that they cannot quantify, and it drives them ballistic. And I love every minute of it. And look, I'm not, and, I used to be an anti analytics guy because it used to be the analytics space used to be dominated by those personalities. Well, there's only one analytics guy who I can't stand, but um, I have a couple. Well, no, there's there's just one. There, well, there's one Ranger one, and there's uh, one uh, National one. And uh, but the whole narrative of the Rangers have not played a starting goaltender yet. But here's you the think, thing, what and are we I, supposed and to I, do? I, what are we supposed to do? I'm sorry, no, we can't. But 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 not even that. I wonder what the narrative would be if the Rangers lost to those goalies and got and law and and got knocked out of the playoffs to those goalies who they do not deem as NHL goalies. Oh, what no, would the, the narrative, narrative be then? The narrative then would be, Rangers oh, I see. Jokes. I told you. I told you they weren't. They weren't real. They were pretenders. They're yeah. not that good of a team. So because it, it upsets their narrative, 
which this is a common theme with how life is today because it upsets their narrative and they cannot fit it into their nice little box. They hate the Rangers even more. Yeah. So. But don't credit the fact that the Rangers have one of the most balanced productive, productive teams right now in the NHL, in the playoffs that even when their top guys aren't going, they are still, there's still the threat because the depth players look, that was a big thing in the series. The Rangers, what, what did I say? And I don't remember if I said this on the last podcast or if I said it. Um, the, the Rangers depth out depth Carolina. And, and I said the big reason why Carolina got past got past Boston was because the pieces that they had in depth. You know, Tony D'Angelo, which I know he's not a depth defenseman for them, but Tony D'Angelo went wild on the Bruins. They Eight held points. him to one meaningful point in this series. And then he got the, the trash goal in Game 7. They kept him to one meaningful point up until then. Svechnikov was barely anywhere to be found unless he was trying to take a headshot or chase people around, which we want to talk about that. right? You want to talk about the narrative of Jacob Truba being a dirty hockey player. Well, if anybody who says Jacob Truba, I don't even listen to that anymore because anybody who oh, says it's that. Oh, so, it's ha- so have, crazy on social media right now. Ha- has the, Anybody who says that Truba's dirty has clearly never played hockey at any level. And I just I refuse to give them uh, any sort of credibility, so I don't even argue it anymore. Look, I'm just gonna say this: Did I? It sucked to see Seth Jarvis get hurt the way he did. But you can't sit there and say Jacob Truba went in at the guy's head when you literally see his shoulder and elbow tucked into his body, and he explodes through the shoulder. The problem is, is that Jacob Truba hits like a hard-hitting defenseman of older days, and there aren't that many that can do it. There's not that many defensemen now that play the game that can hit the way Truba does. So every hit that he has is a big, thick, solid, hard hit. It also and unfortunately, does, it, it also doesn't hurt that Truba is built. He's a big dude, but even on the Jarvis hit. He came down lower to make contact, and the beginning point of contact was shoulder to shoulder. The unfortunate thing in it is that he hit Jarvis hard enough that Jarvis snapped his head back and then hit into, and then it was basically like a concussion blast. I hated to see the fact that Jarvis couldn't get off the ice on his own, basically, without crawling to the bench. Should the refs have blown the whistle? And he passed, um, he passed out on the bench. Like, he fell backwards off yeah, the bench. I mean, they probably should have blown the whistle. I, I just wonder if they thought maybe he broke his skate blade. That's what I thought originally. I thought his skate blade popped off. I didn't realize he was having that much trouble because of the hit. Um, but the, the, the point is, what I'm trying to get is, we've gotten away from knowing and understanding what a hard, clean hit is. And they're harder. They're, they're, they're more amplified now because the game is even faster. So the fact that the defenseman is able to line up those hits and make contact like that is even more of a testament to how good Truba is at hitting because there's very few defensemen in the NHL right now that can do what he can do consistently. Not only do what he can do consistently, but do it as clean as he does it without with avoiding yeah. the head. I mean, people comparing him to Scott Stevens, you have it best. You have the best Scott Stevens phrase, so I'll just let you say well, it. Well, it's just like, you know, look – Scott Stevens used to hit hard. He did. 
The problem is with Scott Stevens, none of his hits were ever actually clean hits. They were all dirty. And the next clean hit that Scott Stevens puts on somebody will be the first one of his career. There you go. So I'm tired of seeing that because it's, it's look. And, and I, I like to believe and I like to operate on a mind of open mind. But I'm sitting there watching it and I'm like, I, I don't know, man. Like, where are people getting that he came in with a flying elbow and went straight to Jarvis's head? Like, I don't even see it. Again, it goes back to let's fit a narrative. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. But, all right, Tampa coming up. We're going to be jumping on Twitter spaces to wrap up the podcast. We'll get some people to, uh, to chat with us. I got a couple of questions that were asked of us that I'm going to bring up on the Twitter space. Um, so I'll see if I can get it to slide over to the recording. Um, but if not, you're more than welcome to join us on there. 30 on Broadway on Twitter is our handle, um, at 30 on Broadway. You can catch us on Twitter spaces. We're going to try to do these more often than not on podcast episodes. Um, but we're going to take some questions there, some, some comments, some feedback. I've got a couple of questions, like I said, that we're going to talk about, but quick before we do that predictions, mine Rangers in six Tampa in seven. Staying with the yin yang, baby. Yep. I, I, look, yeah, and Friday I, night, Mustangs. I I love the new. Well, Friday night, just just to let everyone know. Well, we're starting at Mustangs, and we may wind up staying there if if the box office does not. Too much. If the box it, office trick of Nick does not come through. But I gotta tell you, Chris, I have a feeling. You have a feeling. I have a feeling because it's lining up too perfectly that my job is letting me leave early. So like that's a break. I did not expect to catch. So I just got to tell you, I have a feeling Friday night. I may get my first taste of live playoff action. Dude, it's I've only been to one at the garden, but I'll tell you what, just being in, in Mustangs last night was, was enough energy for me where I would be like, if I could get to every freaking playoff game, down there, I would. Fortunately, I can't. I live too far, but it's um, yeah, it's awesome. Right. So, so we'll we be go. there Friday night. If we're there for the whole game, you know, feel free to pop on over and uh, say hello. Uh, I I'll buy you a beer. Oh, look at that! Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Should I post that as a giveaway on Twitter? Well, you know, uh, Nick will buy anyone that says hi to him a beer. No, not anyone. I because really, then I'll just have like thirty-five random people who I don't even know. Hi, Nick. Uh, go away. Don't Big know fan. You. First time, long time. First Bye time. Long, yeah, no, yeah. No. I will say this: the Reeves. There's a special drink. All right. Um, Twitter Spaces now. I'll talk about that in a sec. Reeves Prickly. It's a prick. I don't remember the full name of it. It's delicious. You could drink like ten of them. It's like Reeves Prickly Pear Cactus something. It's phenomenal. Get it. It's awesome. We'll see you on Twitter. All right. There was a really awesome stat that was shown on the broadcast last night on on uh, I think this was NHL Network, where they posted notable young players for the Rangers and the amount of playoff games that they played. Adam Fox, uh, Adam Fox, Kako, and Heedle all lead the lead the way with 17 games. Fox 24, Kako 21, Heedle 22 years of, years of old. Years of old. Years of age. 
They're counting the stupid bubble. They're counting the bubble. Because technically they counted the technically that was playoffs. Okay. Uh, Shesterkin, 15 at 26. Lafreniere, 14 at 20. Lindgren, obviously the rest. Lindgren, Miller, Schneider, all those guys, 14. But I think that's been the biggest thing of this series, or of the playoffs right now, has been the freaking young guns. And I think, you know, you've always been the type that beats the drum on playoff experience. I do. How you love playoff experience. And I think this is where my point of just being young and full of piss and vinegar and not really feeling the pressure of the moment has benefited the Rangers because the young kids have been able to go out there and be loose and be themselves, and they've been lighting it up. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, with that, and then as well as, um, you know, a guy like, like I said, I, I said it when we were recording just before, Barclay Goodrow is such a huge piece. I, mean, I don't think we win game six and seven if he doesn't come back. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very possible. Like, like I, I like Kevin Rooney. I really like Kevin Rooney on the fourth yeah, line. But, but, yeah, he's not Barkley, and he wasn't really – he was pedestrian. You weren't you weren't see a whole lot. Well, and here's and here's what I'll say, and you guys can tell me if I'm off base with this because you know I, I, we are opening this up to other people than just Chris and myself. Um, I firmly believe Barkley Pitrone. The reason why you get him is for that penalty kill in the first period. Where you know the Rangers score, they're up, or in the it might have been the second period. I can't really remember. It was the second period. The Rangers are up. They're protecting a lead. They're on the PK. Goodrow ate about three shots in a row. It's ridiculous. Now, there's a guy who's coming off of like a broken ankle, broken foot, whatever, whatever broken part of his lower body he was dealing with. Sacrifices himself, gives himself up to block three shots. All because it's game seven and he's looking to survive to the conference final. I don't know any other Ranger in the lineup right now that would have done that. Maybe Kreider. That's about it. I don't even think he would have done it. I don't know. I don't really get the feel like Kreider. I don't really get the sense that Kreider. I don't get that vibe like like the blocking shot mentality. Like, like Lindgren. Lindgren would be the other one. Yeah, every time Kreider goes down to a shot, I just think about that game that they played in Philly a few years ago where he broke his foot and he was done for the year and that pretty much killed us. Oh, God. Well, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Ryan Callahan against Daniel Chara, but it's like that that sequence from Barkley Goodrow, that is one of those things that, again, the charts can't quantify. Yep. That's one of those, you know, the, the old cliche of dragging your team into battle. That's one of those where he's like, you see, guys, see what I just did? Like, especially off of what I just came off of. That's one of those where it wakes everybody up and everybody, um, you know, everybody's like, all right, you see what he's sacrificing, what he's willing to give up to win? That, you know, it, it just gets everybody going. And now that we're thinking, talking about who would do that stuff on that team, I, I think maybe not Kreider, but definitely Tyler Bond. That dude has been an unsung hero so far. Yep. 
I, I, yeah, I, I love, I, I love Tyler Black. Getting him back and getting him healthy has been has been huge. Yep. And I, 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 I don't know if I'm in the minority with this too, but Justin Braun has been quite good for us this year so far in the playoffs. And I think that's a key. I think that's a key point. He's the type of defenseman that you don't want to hear about. Nope. Exactly. It, it, it's one of those. It's one of those where um, I, I I love what Braun has been doing. It's again, it's another credit to Chris Drury and the job that Drury did at the deadline of bringing guys who are not big names. They're not guys who are gonna you know set the the casual fan on fire because they're not a name that they're not familiar with mm-hmm. but they are guys that are going to round out the roster and Chris what's the one drum I was beating all year with round what out the bottom oh yeah rounding out the bottom yeah. six yeah especially going into the deadline you know don't do anything crazy like you know everyone was like oh trade for Mark Shifley it's like dude no that's not that's not the move not right now like address the bottom six, and he went out. Tyler Mott, Justin Braun, you know, he did it on the on the on the blue line, addressing the third pair. Justin Braun, you know, the one thing they always say you can never have enough defensemen, you know, especially at playoff time. You're gonna go six, seven, maybe even eight defense defensemen deep, depending on injuries. And the fact that Braun has been able to come in and stabilize that third pair with Schneider and actually be useful and not be a detriment. I mean, Patrick Nemeth, again, may be a great guy off the ice. On the ice, he's a liability, and he was a net negative to the Rangers. Yep. And he was playing on his offside, too. Right, and that's the other thing. Braun is playing while he's doing it on his offside, so it's like, it's one of those things that, like, God love him. Thank you, Justin Braun, because we, we, uh, we needed it because if if we were going to get a performance like Patrick Nemeth, we could have gone in the first round. Yep. Well, not even in the first round, but definitely in the second round. Yeah. Like, we wouldn't have beaten Carolina. So, it's one of those where I, I, I'm very thankful that Chris Drury went out and traded for Justin Brock. I'm just, I'm not, Keandre Miller in terms of talking about the D, besides, you know, Fox being his usual brilliant self, Keandre Miller has been a stud so far this year in the playoffs. Yeah, he's played big. Something, and he's, he's, he's tops, top 20, number one in five, uh, five versus five defensive zone breakups for the second round. Like, come on, that, that's incredible. For 20, was he 21? A 20? And not only that, he's somebody who's still due to play uh, uh, defenseman. Yep, and he's going to be—he's going to be the shutdown defender that we needed, that we had when, before Mark Stahl got hurt. I, and I, and that's, it's funny that you bring up Stahl because that's exactly who I see when I look at Catherine Miller. I see a young Mark Stahl. Yep. A, Mark Stahl before all the before the eye and everything. He was yeah. before the eye and the concussion week. Yeah. So, I mean, if we can get that Mark Stahl with Keandre's offensive ability yep. that he's flashed, then, you know, let's boogie because that's, that's 
that's pretty that's pretty fantastic. I mean, you can't do much. I mean, I look at it like what what Keandre did. There was a play last night where Keandre used his reach, used his stick, and it was late in the game, and just made a simple. I'm gonna poke check it off you, take it from you, up the wall, out of the zone. It was one of those plays that's just like so simple. But my lord, it was a thing of beauty to see. And it's one of those, like, if Keandre keeps learning how to grow into his body, oh, good God. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I, and I, and I said this uh, in, in the Twitter space that I did yesterday, uh, pregame before the game, that I, I have a, when I look at Keandre Miller, I think Keandre, his very, very ultimate high end, is Victor Hedman light because of their the size, the skating ability, the way they can use their stick. I think on the low end of his of his ceiling, he's Brett Burns at his peak. Which sure, yeah. Which either way, I I'm okay either. with yeah yeah like I would gladly take Victor Hedman because if we have a Victor Hedman, then oh good god. I mean but, I mean. Victor Hedman at five on five isn't even on this list. You know, so it's like, well, but I, I do think he may not be on that list, but I'll take Victor Hedman every day of the oh, week absolutely. As, as the best defenseman in the NHL. Yep. Like, because just watching Hedman, and we're going to see him up close and personal, I, you know, he, the things that he can do for a man of his size to be able to skate the way he does, he, he is truly special and in a lot of ways, he's one of a kind, but I just, I think Keandre has that ability, and it's all about getting getting him to grow to, to that level. I, I've been high on them since they drafted him. I know not many people were big on him when they drafted him, but I, I, I didn't expect him to develop the way he has in the first two years like he has. Which I, which I think is fair because, I, you know, Chris and I both were in agreement that we thought he should go to Hartford. Yep. That I, because I I did love the potential in him, and I didn't want the Rangers last year to get lost in his potential and say, you know what, we're going to rush him along. I, I thought he was one of those that you can't rush. You got to take your time with, ease him into it, and, you know, let him work out the kinks in his game because he is still young. He's still learning the, the defensive side of being a defenseman. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things that you don't want to rush him and cause him to have, you know, hiccups to his game that he'll never get rid of. But, man, he's taking a leap this postseason. Like, down the down the stretch this year and into the postseason, he has been arguably the Rangers' best defenseman. Absolutely. I, I truly think it's fair to say he's been better than Fox. And I know Fox, point-wise, you know, has been putting up numbers. But, when you, you know, and again, it goes back to the two different things. You can look at the statute or you can, act, you can watch and determine with your eyes on what you see. And, yeah, Fox has played, has put up points. But there's been points in this postseason where his, his game hasn't lined up to the statute. And, and- Defensively, I think Keandre Miller blows him out of the water sometimes. I mean, Fox is, Fox is smart. He plays the puck well. He, he makes brilliant plays. 
but he's not going to be a Keandre Miller type of player. He's just going to be he's, he's an offensive defenseman who can play defense. I mean, I know that they're all like that, but Keandre, I, that is absolutely the best defenseman on this team. If he if he adds some more strength to himself and and bulks up, it's it's I think it's scary what he can do. If he learns to use his body, like you said before, it's going to be unstoppable. Yeah, that could be real scary what he can do. Um, Braden uh, Schneider too has played well. The, the the one thing that I've seen from from Keandre that I really love is he's learning when to use his stick and he's learning when to use his body. Because I think when you have that long reach as a defenseman, and I think Mark Stahl, after all the injuries and everything, he got too happy using the poke check and he shied away from the body contact. There is that balance of when you poke check and when you separate a guy from the puck. And Miller, I've seen it. I don't know if anybody else has. This postseason, especially in the series against Carolina, he's learned when to take the body and he's learned when to... You know, I can make a play here with my stick and look to jumpstart offense the other way. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a huge underrated aspect of his development. Absolutely, yeah. But in terms of our core defense for the next few years, I think we're pretty set. Even if we end up having to maybe get rid of Truba because of that contract, I, I'd be thrilled with the top four of Foxland and Brayden Schneider and Keandre Miller for sure. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think Ryan Lindgren, at this point, everybody's, you know, give the C to uh, Kreider or Zibanejad. I, I'm, I have no problem with Lindgren taking the seat. I think Lindgren has exemplified all the abilities of leadership. Yep. And, and I'll say this, too. I think Jacob Troop has made himself a case because, you know, leaders lead in different ways. And Jacob Trouba, whether or not you agree with the hit on said Jarvis, you know, look, you think it was a bad hit, I think calling him dirty would be a little bit excessive. But Trouba has, even though he didn't score, he's made plays to shift the momentum. And that hit on Jarvis, right or wrong on how you feel about it, it changed the momentum. And it gave the Rangers a jump, and it took energy and the wind out of Carolina's sails. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where, you know, I think Trupa has exemplified, you know, true leadership ability. It's, Alon said something about it today. He's just he's an old-school defenseman, the way he hits, like... Yeah, some of his, like you said, some of his hits might have been dirty. Last night was clean as clean could be. It was body on that contact. There was no way to do it. It's, it's, there was no way to avoid his size against size. Unfortunate what happened with Jarvis, but that was a, that was a momentum change for sure. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. It's funny. We were just talking about that when we were recording earlier about, you know, the old school defenseman and how there's not many defensemen now in the NHL that are able to do hits like that. So it gets amplified. And then, of course, the game's faster now, so it's even amplified even more. Um, so, so that's, yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, we did have two questions that were posed to us uh, that I wanted to touch on quick before we before we close up. Um, one was, <clears throat> and I'm, I have my answer already on this, but Nick, I'll ask you, does this team remind you of the 2012 club? Yes and no. Um, and 
I think the difference here is between the 2012 club and this one, there is depth scoring, and there is good depth scoring, and there are four lines that you can roll at any time. The 2012 Rangers were very top-heavy. If it wasn't Brad Richards or Marion Gabrick, where were the goals coming from? And that was the biggest issue with that club. This team is far more well-rounded. You know, if Panarin's not going, you have Kopp, you have Stroll, even when Stroll is blatantly trying to miss the net. You you have Frank Vitrano, you have the kid line. You can get some offense out of that fourth line. Maybe not a lot with Ryan Reasonable when Sammy Blay comes back, and I think you'll see Sammy Blay towards the middle of this series against Tampa. Absolutely. Um, you can roll Tyler Mott, Barkley Goodrow, and Sammy Blay, and that line gives you offense, and it is defensively responsible. So there are definitely similarities between the 2012 Rangers and this Rangers team, but I think this Rangers team is better and more well-rounded. Yeah, I, I actually, I don't, I don't know about being top heavy. That 2012 club. I mean, I know. See, to me, I felt like they were they were one line. With really good depth. Yeah, but I mean, like, well, I guess I would say if you're comparing the two teams, I think the biggest difference with this club is this club is more rounded out. This club has more. This club has threats on just about every line in a different, whether it's a different way or not. They do, where the 2012 team, to me, you know, when they got to the playoffs, it was Broussard, it was the Broussard show. No, that Broussard wasn't on the 2012 team. Chris. Oh, I'm looking at 2012-13. Hold on, let me go back one year. Yeah, the 11-12 team. The they team cheated me. The Hold on. I was I was looking. I was like, Broussard was on that team, but that's right. Hold on, give me a second. Let me look at the stats. Dude, John Mitchell was on that team's fourth line. Uh, I like John Mitchell. John Mitchell would not be playing for this Ranger team. No, but that's why I think like because because some people were like, oh well, you know, this team. This is the 2012 team had no business getting to the Stanley Cup final or the conference final. And, you know, look at what they were able to do. Um, Look at what that team was able to do. But I I think this team's totally different. Like, you look at, you know, that team, Brad Richards, Dan Girardi went off. Girardi put up 12 points in the postseason that year. Um, Practically did half of his freaking production from the regular season. Mary Gabrick had 11 points in 20 games. But then there's like, there was a drop off. You get down into the weeds of it, and there's really no offensive threat out of, like, your biggest offensive threats really were Brad Richards and Dan Girardi. Which is not good. And, you know, yeah, you had, you had Mary Gabrick gave you double digit points. Artie Anisimov gave you double-digit points. Michael Delzato, Callahan. But you're talking 20 games, and those guys got 10 or 11 points throughout the season, throughout the postseason. That's not like – you're not lighting it up. When you look at this team, you know, if I go – if I pull up DB real quick and I pull up the Rangers now for this year, I don't know if they have it accurate or not, but 
Let's see if they've got it. Let's see if they got it accurate right now. Let's see. No, they don't. Do they? Oh, they do. Wait, let's see. They do? They don't have the playoff stats. All right, fine. Let me go over to NHL.com real quick. Oh, my God. This is, this is live radio. <laughs> well, they're not. They don't. They don't have the freaking updates. So, what do you want me to tell you? I mean, Goodrow only has three games played. He has a point. Uh, Tyler Moss got nine games played, two points. I don't know about Rooney. Reeves, I know, doesn't have anything. Rooney. Two I don't points. think. I think Rooney has. Justice. Yeah. Um. But then look at the kid line. Yeah, I mean, you go put the top. The top. The top guys, Mika, 19 points in 14 games. Fox, 18 and 14. Cop, 12 and 14. Kreider, 11 and 14. Panarin, 11 and 14. You know, Ryan Strom, as bad as he's looked for a lot of it, he's got 9 and 14, which he got. That goal last night for him was huge. Yep. Especially yeah, after. Especially that, yeah. <laughs> you know, Frank Vetrano, you know, has put up 8 points. Laugh is 7. Heedle, 6. Um, Kako's really the only one, but the thing with Kako, Kako's only put up three points, but I feel like Kako has used his body and size to cause havoc in the offensive zone, um, which I think has been a big part. So you look through this lineup and you're like, all right, I'm seeing contributions from first line, second line, third line. I'm taking that every day. And then you have a fourth line that can shift momentum by how they play. Just, just drives everybody nuts. Just no, absolutely drives people nuts. And, and that's where that's where this team is way better than the 2012 team. Yeah, and I don't even think it's I don't think it's even remotely close. Like I don't think it's in the same. It's it's two completely different. That 2012 team to me, John Tortorella got as much as he could possibly get out of that club. Yes. And and they overachieved big time. And they were they were literally carried by Hank. Yeah, and this team is 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 far bigger, better all around every every aspect. And it also helps that you have a guy who might actually be better than Henry Clarkwood than that. Possibly, as I mean, crazy as that is to say. Yeah. Um, all right, last one. Do you think this was the last question? This was the question I got from the from from the guy at Mustangs last night. Do you think the Rangers match up better? with Tampa than they would have if they got Florida. I'm going to try and keep this uh, short and sweet uh, because we'll, we'll go around the round table for the three of us. Um, I think I do. I, I believe that be, and I believe I believe it because I think Chris Drury took the blueprint of the Tampa Bay Lightning and literally tried to copy Tampa down to you know because when you look at the Rangers and how they stack up you have a number one elite, a number one centerman in Mika Zibanejad, Steven Stamkos on the opposite side. You have an elite game-breaking, playmaking winger, Archimedes Panarin, and Ida Kucherov as a counterpart. Then you have the power forward in Chris Kreider. They use Alex Kalorn in that in that kind of role. Um, then when you look, you look on the blue line. Dynamic playmaking offensive defenseman Adam Fox. You could, you know, say that about Victor Hedman. Hedman's more two way, but and then you have in net you have 
Igor Shesterkin. And then where I think the Rangers are really similar and really copied Tampa Bay is bringing in Barkley Goodrow, giving us that edge and that grit and that ability, that mental toughness to play any kind of style. You bring in Ryan Reeves, who helps play, you know, the physical, tougher edge of the game. You you bring in Tyler Mott, who has that that speed and that defensive skill, much like Andre Mott. Won't score a lot, but solid penalty killer, great on the wing, tremendous on the forecheck to help swing the momentum. So it's one of those, and then and then you have the kid in line, which. Tampa Bay also had their own kids when they were really going. So, you know, especially when they first, when Tampa Bay really emerged, when they beat the Rangers in 2015, the triplet line, which was Kucherov, Malat, and Tyler Johnson. So I think there are a lot of real similarities here between the Rangers and Tampa. And I think the Rangers have shown you they can play pretty much any style you want um, they got dragged into the weeds a little bit in Carolina in the first couple of games. But in game seven, they showed you, look, we can score on the power play, and then we can play even at five on five, and we can play solid defensively and manage the game and not lose the game. Yeah, I think um, I, I look at it as I think the two teams are – more similar than they're not. Um, I think, like you said, the Rangers kind of modeled, have, have kind of modeled that that identity, um, especially in the depth part of the of the lineup. Um, I would have liked to have Bobrovsky in net versus Vasilevsky, but I also think the Rangers not necessarily would have fell into the trap of the run and gun of Florida, but. I, I just I feel like this series to me it's it's these two teams are so so freaking similar that I, I mean I don't know I don't go into this series sitting here going oh man Tampa's this freaking juggernaut how are we gonna beat them I don't have that feeling at all I, I I don't maybe if we get past them and we get Colorado I'll feel that way I I don't know um, but I just I feel like we're the way we've played them this year before the trade deadline, um, then the way we matched up with them then, and how well we played then. I know it's a regular season, and it doesn't necessarily mean jack squat, but I'm really, I'm really excited and really curious to see how that changes with the post deadline acquisitions or the deadline acquisitions, and with how we're playing. I think again, it's going to come down to. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to the big guys have to produce and the lineup has to be running from top to bottom all the way through. Whether it's on the offensive side, the defensive side, you already know what you got in net with Shesterkin. Um, and they're going to have to capitalize. Any opportunity that they get that Tampa gives them, and it's going to be so far and few between, they have to capitalize on them. Yeah. And it's one of those where you're going to have to bring your A game from the jump. So, Which is fine. I mean, that's what it should be. When you get to the conference oh, yeah. file, that's what it should be. And, and this, this can't be one of those series where Zivanejic, Kreider, Panera, and Fox, they wait till game three to wake up. 
Because if you wait till game three, it's already over. Tampa Bay's way too good. They're way too experienced. They know what it takes to win. They know they know how they have that killer instinct. So if you're going to wait, you're screwed. They, the Rangers need to come out Wednesday night at the Garden. They need to they need to let Tampa Bay know, hey, we may be young, but we're here. And we want this. And we're putting you on notice that we're coming. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and, and it's not going to be easy. Because, look, you know, whether or not you believe you buy into the whole bullshit narrative of the Rangers haven't played a goalie yet, look, whether or not they haven't yet, they're going to play one now. And they're going to play arguably, and, and, I, and I don't think it's too soon to say this, I think Andre Vasilevsky can go down as the greatest goaltender of all time. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Vasilevsky and what he's accomplished and what he'll continue to accomplish since he's only like 27 years old. So, there, you, you're you not going to get many chances. There, this is going to be, you know, you would imagine this is not going to be Colorado and Edmonton where goals are going to be just flowing. Offense is going to be hard to come by. The Rangers' power play is going to have to be money. So, and the Rangers penalty kill on the, on the other side. Stammer, Cooch, yep. they're going to light you up if they get the chance. So the Rangers need to be ready from jump here and and not expect that this is going to be like the other series. If they go down 3-1, to 3-2 to Tampa Bay, it's over. I, I, think, I think Tampa Bay's PK is better than Carolina, but they're at like 92% so far for the playoffs this year. That, so it, it, would, it wouldn't shock me. It, the it special really teams is going to be big. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where Tampa Bay has shown, we'll play any kind of game you want to play. And the thing is, we're better than you at it. Yep. So they, they did that to Toronto. Toronto wanted to go high scoring. Okay, we'll go high scoring. Oh, you want to slow it down and try and, you know, grind it down? We can do that too. So Tampa Bay has shown, there's no holes in their game. There's a reason why they're the back-to-back cup champs and, and why they're in the conference final again. Mm-hmm. So the Rangers are going to have to be on their game. They're going to have to be ready to go. They're going to have to They're gonna have to execute every single night. There is no room for error here. Yep. I'm just hoping that Tampa's sitting for 11 days by the time they play on Wednesday is going to have them sitting on their morals a little bit, especially maybe if they underestimate what we are. But in terms of matchups, I'd rather play Tampa than Florida. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Hey, I feel and, like if you're going to take out the best, you might as well beat them. Yep. If you want to win it all, you might as well take them out because it's only going to get it's only going to get harder from here. And I know people are going to say, "Well, oh, you guys want Tampa? That's pretty cocky." No, it's not a cocky of "Oh, I want Tampa." It's it's a better I, matchup. I just feel like the Rangers have mirrored. Tampa Bay, so if there's any team that they could match with, like for argument's sake, if the Rangers somehow beat Tampa Bay and go to say like a final and they play Colorado, I think Colorado's a nightmare matchup. The only good thing with Colorado is their goaltending has not been good. Yeah. That's and the only thing. And that's what I've talked about before. That's that one glimmer. It's one of those things that I, I, I said it before the postseason, and I've said it all year. The Rangers will have the clear, decisive goaltending advantage in every series they play, except for if they play Tampa. Yep. 
Fair enough. We, you know, if we, that's the one goalie who's better than Igor. So, yep. you know, it, it's going to be hard. But you know what? Winning a Stanley Cup is not easy. And the Rangers are going to have, if you're really, if you're really a true cup contender, this is where you show it right now. So, yep. now, now in terms of, let me, let me ask you a theoretical. If we do get past Tampa, who do you rather play? Do you rather play that junk? You know, I'm just going to say that because, I mean, besides that McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Kane line, I mean, Edmonton's really not stacked up for their, you know, for the other three lines. And their defense is eh, besides Duncan Keith and, Darnell Nurse. Yeah, and I look. I think we can hang six or seven every night on Koskinen or Mike Smith. So I, I feel like you know Panarin has a good Panarin hit this postseason. If we make it to the Cup final and we play Edmonton, I think that will be enough to get uh, Artemi Panarin right at the best time of the year. So I mean, I, Regardless of the fact that he put up 96 points, he wasn't the same player he was this year that he was the first year he was here, and that's a little scary to think about. Like, he just needs that switch to get turned on. Well, I, I, I personally believe, I, I think Ben Aaron is hurt. I think he's been playing hurt. So, I, I it won't surprise me whenever the Rangers season ends if we find out that Ben Aaron has been dealing with something probably since December. Yeah. Didn't he, when, he missed a few games this year, too. When did he go out? Uh, after the All-Star game. Before and after the All-Star game, I want to say. Yeah, I remember. He, that could have been what it was, too. Like I said, I mean, people were saying, oh, he's not matching up with uh, Kawhi's style of play. And I, I, I personally think that's bullcrap because, like I said, 96 points. But if he can flip that switch for us and we can get that elite talent that we got and we have him for the rest of the playoffs then I would be thrilled oh yeah Man, look we're gonna need him now so I mean don't get me wrong he's still getting that defensive pressure that he's been getting all year but he just it's just he hasn't looked up to that name yet but also too um in terms of Sammy Blake potentially coming back during this series do you think he slots in over Reeves right away I, I think it would be a feeling out process depending on how the series is going. But yeah. I think the I think when if Blay is healthy to play in this series, which I, I, I think he will be, probably by game three or four. I think um you know, it depends on matchups and everything like that, but I think, you know, Sammy Blay would be an upgrade over Ryan Reeves because he can he has more offensive punch and he's not afraid to to uh, use his body and use his frame. And he was, and people don't remember this, but he was part of the Barbashev Sunquist line. When they won the cup in St. Louis. When St. Louis won the cup. And that line was huge. Yep. So that's just something to keep in the the back of your mind. Has anybody seen him skating since they had the pictures of him on ice in a non-contact jersey? Like, what was that, two weeks ago they posted that? Yeah, he's been practicing. I think he's still in a non-contact, but he's been practicing. Yeah. But then again, so was mine, and all of a sudden, hopefully, there he is. Yeah. Well, I was shocked when Barkley Goodrow played. I did not think Goodrow was playing in game six. When everyone was like, oh, Goodrow's going to play tonight, I was like, what are you talking about? Yep. I mean, dude, the dude, like, broke a bone in his foot or his ankle, and it was like three weeks ago. I'm like, there's no way he's going to be able to play. And <laughs> lo and behold. So, playoffs. Yeah, nobody, yep. knows, for, nobody knows for sure. Yep. I I think 
Chris, I think that's it, right? Yeah, that's all we got. Yeah. All right, cool. So, yeah, game one tomorrow night. Rangers and six. Depending on when you're listening to this. Or tonight. Rangers and six. So I'm you saying, Rangers in six. I'm sticking with. I think Tampa. You're doing. You're like you said. We're, you're doing. We're doing the yin yang. It's been working. So we're gonna stick with it. And there you go. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. You know. Yeah. Yep. All right. Good talk, gentlemen. It was a pleasure. Hey, thanks, Ab. Thanks for joining us too. Thank no you. No problem.